Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Decoding Society. This is your host, D'Angelo Starnes. Uh, today is Sunday, July the 8th, 2018. And uh, we're usually joined by uh, our co-host, Chris Cathcart. However, uh, he kind of overcompensated for the heat out in L.A. and uh, he's a little under the weather. But fear not, ladies and gentlemen, because as our marquee indicated uh, we're welcoming back uh, a former, another co-host, really, uh, yeah. co-host in abstention, uh, Marjorie <laughs> Fields-Harris. Yay! <laughs> I am I'm glad to be back. I'm doing great. And uh, speaking, of course, from the city of Newark, New Jersey. So uh, I've had a little change in my geography here. But uh, but my mind is the same, and just glad to be back. I'm really glad to uh, have you back. I know you. Uh, I know you. You get. You came in. I think you popped in once after uh, we. For those that that may or may not remember, we Margie and I used to, we go way back for one, but we used right. to uh, 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 do a show called Act Two which mm-hmm. was, you know, a, a show about, you know, going into the second act of your life. And uh, Margie, your act two has been, been a motherfucker, I must say. I, I'm, I'm loving it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, catch, it's funny catch because, us up. Yeah, well, for the past uh, three-plus years, I've been here in Newark, and I, I've been serving in the administration of – the Honorable Mayor Raz J. Baraka, and as many people know, um, he is the son of the late Amiri Baraka, poet laureate and, and dramatist and so many other things, and uh, so it was, it's was it been an honor to serve with him, and um, I decided to do some other things uh, as he was sworn in. He was elected to his second term, so he's going to be doing some incredible things for the city of Newark, and uh, after three-plus years, I said, I, I left it better than I found it when I got here three, year, three years ago, a little over three years ago, and uh, helped him to build a, a great communication structure. And, you know, I, I had him on the, the front, the A1 above the fold <laughs> story for the New York Times about how he defined odds and, you know, changing, defined expectations. People thought that, oh, wow, he's a nationalist. He's going to come in and everything's going to be black power and we're not going to have any businesses. It's like, yeah, but he showed you all that, you know, you you, you can do both. You know, you can be a, for your people and for your community and still build a great business base. And as a result, Amazon, we're still one of the finalists. Our city is for HQ2. So he's done some incredible things. We have $4 billion in the economic development pipeline. Our crime is down. It's like uh, the lowest it's been in over 50 years. And uh, things are, are turning around. So he has really defied expectations. And I was, you know, I'm glad that I was able to be here during his first term to help him to get the message out. And he was named uh, 
by um, The Nation magazine as the nation's most progressive mayor in 2015. And he's done some incredible things. So I was able to do some good things. And the reason I had to go radio silent is because, you know, as a city spokesperson, I had to uh, watch what I said because everything that I would say, and I know sometimes the decoding society, I, I had to speak my mind. And uh, so I couldn't always do that uh, for the past three years. So it's good to be back and have a platform where we can talk about things that are important to me and I know important to the community. So I thank you for welcoming me back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, said a mouthful there. We're going to dive into some of that. Now, now I remember when uh, we were doing our thing, you were – also part of More Mondays, which was another impactful, you know, kind of national movement that was, you know, again, a resurrection uh, mm-hmm. to the King's Poor, Poor People's Movement, and they, uh, they've expanded that. How, how did you make that transition from More Mondays to, to the mayor's office, and, and how much of that particular activity impacted what you were able to bring to uh, Mayor Baraka's administration? Well, you know, everything that I've done, D'Angelo, is informed from the position of a community activist. So everything that I'm drawn to, everything in my life always goes back to what can I do to serve the people? I'm a humble servant. And, you know, I... So I'm a follower of the movement, as you know, and anything that gives back to the social and economic you know, justice of my people, my community, and that means all people of color and all people who are disenfranchised. That's what I've always been attracted to. So whether it was Moral Mondays, whether it was leading National Action Network for seven years, whether it was, you know, working with a progressive mayor, everything has always, I've always been informed from that position. So it wasn't so much a, you know, a transition as much as an extension of my work, my life's work, which is serving. So it wasn't, uh, so much of a leap. And, you know, as uh, Dr. Reverend Barber uh, moved his movement from Moral Mondays to, you know, the Poor People's Movement, uh, which was you know, what Dr. King did, um, it's, everything becomes an extension. Um, you know, and I, I find it interesting because one of the things that the mayor did, uh, Mayor Baraka, when we first got here, when I first arrived, we were dealing with, you know, heavy crime. And so, he took the concept of Occupy Wall Street and we did something called Occupy the Block where we would go into communities where, you know, we would get the police report and say, okay, there was drug activity or heavy, you know, there were people hanging out on corners and we would literally go there and we would set up like tables and chairs and we'd have chess tables out there. and we'd have So we'd have people playing chess, we'd have music and it was a matter of disrupting communities or areas where people felt unsafe. And he still does that, like every Wednesday and Thursday, especially when it's warm, starting in March. So from March to October, every Wednesday and Thursday of the week, there's an Occupy movement that, you know, takes people to communities to do work. And so that's, uh, so you know, again, everyone who is of the same mindset, we all have the same ideas and the same concepts. So it's not so much transition as extension work of what we do. So yeah, it sounds like part of a continuum. And I and I I, I have forgotten about your work with the National Action Network. So it is. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. There's the consistency there. You know, 
um, yeah. sometimes you see people and you're like, you know, how'd you make that kind of pivot? And mm-hmm. I, I really, I'm interested in the Occupy the Block uh, concept because a lot of times when, you know, we really seeing it a lot now, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of solutions to, you know, un- quote, unsafe areas is more policing. You know, let's let's call the police in. And I, I really, you know, why did you guys decide to, uh, I mean, I, I heard you when you said, you know, you took the Occupy Wall Street model, but, you know, usually that, did you get calls for more policing? And, and what was kind of the thought process that took you, you know, in a kind of a different direction? Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of it comes from, well, you know this, and this is like when you are in the movement, you know, be it the nationalist movement, black nationalist movement, or anything, you understand our history. And when you look, D'Angelo, at the history of African-American communities, you realize that all of our policing was done by ourselves. You know, it's like you see kids acting up, you would correct them and then call their mother. You know, you like everyone knew what, but people were doing, even now when you're in the community, you know whose kids are dealing drugs, you know whose kids are not, you know, you know everything. And so it's a matter of, you know, empowering the community to police themselves. So it's about getting them, and sometimes they will do that themselves. So if we create a model and we would take police in there, and one of the other things that he does is have police to um, create, you know, community policing programs. So we have police officers that will randomly, you know, stand at the ice cream truck and buy ice cream for kids in the community. So now kids have a dialogue with the community, with the police. And so, yeah, people were calling for more police, but then you also show them the tools that they have, empower them to police themselves as well. So now you have communities coming out. You get to know your neighbors. You get to look out for each other. And so it's about creating and placing tools in the community for people to help themselves. So the Occupy movement came from an opportunity for not just the drug dealers, but for people in the community to come and stand on the corner together. So that's how it became. So it becomes more of a block effort. And, uh, but that's that's something that we've moved away from as a community. You know, we become, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're afraid to snitch, you know, this whole snitching thing. It's like, no, it's about protecting your community and looking out for each other. And so I believe that's more of what um, the Occupy movement is. It's like taking us back. When you look at communities like the Haytai community in Durham, you look at, you know, in the Tulsa neighborhoods, Black people were so busy building, we didn't have time to rob each other. We didn't have time to shoot each other. You know, we were trying to build yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. And, so I, no, that's and right. I, I really think that's the, the model of what, you know, Mayor Baraka and other, you know, and hopefully other mayors, because I know that there's now, you know, black mayors in places like Charlotte. You know, that's the model to me moving forward is showing us, you know, teaching us about our history, but teaching us how we as a culture survive together and live together. And, and it sounds like, you know, you know, with your your work and, and then, you know, Mayor Baraka's obviously uh, a legacy, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. with his father, you know, that that kind of a return to tradition 
Mm-hmm. You know, that that's beautiful because we talk, you know, because, I mean, and I'm not talking when I say we, it's not just, you know, people like yourself and myself when we have these kinds of conversations, but we collectively uh, who have kind of that sensibility, we talk about these kinds of things as, you know, like, why don't we? And then, and, and it's wonderful to see when you, it's wonderful when you see that implemented, that village mentality, that, 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 like you said, that family, that traditional uh, right, a lot of a lot of things that we that we came from that were disrupted mm-hmm. by you know 400 years of slavery. We talked about that. Chris and I talked about that on Wednesday, but uh, it's wonderful mm-hmm. to see that come back in. That now, yes. do do you uh, did so? I, I'm a because one of the things that happens uh, with this, say for instance, this phenomenon of gentrification, displacement <laughs> is yeah, you know. Because cause that, that's what, you know, that's kind of the first wave of, of displacement is, is this, is, you know, resources don't get dedicated to communities mm-hmm. that are considered unsafe and, 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 and uh, uh, can't think of the word I'm thinking of, but uh, can find the word. But, uh, but you guys took kind of the opposite tack. Did, did, how does that interplay with, and is Newark, uh, another one of these major cities that's uh, fighting or dealing with the phenomenon of displacement, gentrification? Well, you know, it's interesting. I tell people, yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because, because one of the things that, you know, I, I lived in Brooklyn after law school, I lived in Brooklyn and I lived in Brooklyn before it became sexy. You know, I went back to the places where I stayed when I was out of law school and it's like, this is not the Brooklyn I recall. You know, and uh, so Brooklyn, I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in Harlem, you know, right on the edge of its change. And I remember um, (laughs) I called a girlfriend when I was, uh, I left there in 2005, I believe, 2005, 2006, no, 2005. And I was sitting outside and we only had one restaurant that had like an outdoor patio kind of area. And uh, I called a girlfriend of mine. And I said, you know, I've seen the apocalypse. It's here in Harlem. And she said, what is it? And I said, there is a white woman jogging through Harlem with a baby carriage. I said, it's over. You know, when you start to see, you know, people. And and at that point, it began to change. And I also, you know, I grew up in D.C., which when you went back to D.C., I'm sure you remember that that was not the D.C. we went to Howard in. But uh, the difference is that, you know, and Mary Berry tried his best to empower people of color and disenfranchised folks. But you didn't have that same commitment in Brooklyn, and you didn't have – and that was Brooklyn in the, the late 90s, and you, I didn't see it in Harlem as well, the leadership there. They were not – other than Reverend Butts, they were not trying to empower people of color with the tools they needed to stay grounded. So when the change came and the renaissance or the gentrification came, they were swept up. And so the difference with Newark and Mayor Baraka is that he goes to meetings. He has monthly meetings with black men of all ages, and they all get together. And it's, uh, you know, he'll have it in a large place. And you have brothers from different communities all come together. And the mayor will actually have listings of, like, houses and properties that the city owns and says, hey, here are properties. I want you all to buy them up. And they're, you know, because they're, they've been closed, dilapidated. So we're talking properties you can get for, 
you know, 10, 20,000 and invest in them. But his point is buy property because you've got to be invested when this change starts to come. So I, when this change starts to come. And so I have not seen any other leaders taking that type of a measure to make sure that people of color in disenfranchised communities are invested when the renaissance come, is coming because it's here in Newark. Like I see it. I've lived here three years now and I, I live in the community. And so I see the changes that are happening. You know, we got our Starbucks, you know, once you get a Starbucks and the Whole Foods, it's a wrap. And now with Amazon, you know, coming in, like all of a sudden now we have all these companies that are putting their headquarters here because Newark has, we have an airport here. I can make it to the airport in less than 10 minutes. You've got a major train station here, you know, Newark, um, Newark Penn Station. You get on the train there and you're in the city in 15 minutes. So you're, you know, you're close to New York, but you don't have all the expense of New York City. And uh, so people are investing here. They are moving here to Newark. But again, you have a leader who is committed to ensuring that everyone is protected. And, um, you know, unfortunately, not everyone in the black community sees it. You know, I don't know what they want. <laughs> They're fighting to protect public housing, which I think is insane. I'm <laughs> like, public housing, really? You're, I mean, and they're fighting to keep, like, dilapidated buildings, you know, together. I'm like, are, you know, why are you doing this? You have an opportunity to, you know, he's trying to give you tools to empower yourself. So the difference between... Newark and, like I said, other places like a Brooklyn or Harlem is that you have a leader who is committed to ensuring that the people are protected. So, that you know, I I love that story, and and again, that's another discussion that people have as they watch. Because I'm just dying out. It ain't no new thing. No thing. I'm so here in Denver. They, it's the exact opposite. It's like an imposition. Uh, where the 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 black uh, political representatives, I'm not going to say leaders, uh, black rep- representatives here, what they'll do is uh, they'll they cause they don't have that conversation with the community, um, and you know then they speak in a, a paternal tone of well the market forces dictate X Y and Z, and then the only thing that you're seeing at most is well, maybe you can apply for some program, got a back two-year backlog. And then, like you said, then there's this old model of folks uh, trying to hang on to old dilapidated housing projects as opposed to, like, go get your own crib that I'm giving you this opportunity to, to do, to, to take over. And um, I, I'm so happy that uh, that you see that kind of, like you said, that, and, and then you've seen that model, and it works. I, I do have a mm-hmm. question because I was listening to um, – uh, a representative from um, uh, Mayor Lumumba's um, uh, uh, administration down in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, they had a similar kind of tightrope they're walking with uh, the business community and the, the people community uh, in that uh, I think that the, the tension was uh, the businesses refused to invest in uh, – and resources to that for the that the community needed to to you know, revitalize itself, so to speak. And I'm wondering, did you guys have the, those similar kinds of tensions in Newark? And if so, how did you handle them? Well, one of the things that the mayor has done is to create. And Chokwe is someone that he is 
close to, and we had a seminar with the two of them in a, a dialogue. It was powerful to see two, you know, progressive African-American male, you know, mayors. It, it was incredible. Danny Glover came to listen. Like, it, it was that kind of moment. And one of the things that um, Mayor Baraka has done is create incentives for these businesses. So uh, one thing he said that if you have, if your payroll has 51% um, Newarkers, meaning people who live in Newark, if you have that, then you receive uh, some kind of, I think it's a tax exemption, or you get a payroll tax exemption for 10 years, I think, or more. So he's created incentives, you know, and if you don't do that, if you invest, you know, if you are building here, then you have to, um, it's a requirement that you have to have minority contractors uh, and uh, workers, if you are bringing a business here, I mean, like he's created incentives, you know, especially tax incentives for businesses that want to do business here. It's like if you're going to do business here, then you have to be invested in the community, not just, you know, you, you can't just come in here and build. You've got to be invested in the community. And so that's how he's been able to to strike that balance. And for developers, you know, if you don't want to, uh, for new uh, for new uh, structures, residential structures, uh, 20% have to be um, affordable uh, affordable housing as, accord, as according to the AMA. Like it has to be, you know, like they have all these formulas. But in other words, if you're going to open up, you know, residential housing, then some of it has to be allocated to affordable housing. So it's um, he's created, he's found a way to to get people together and weave things in so that people are able to work together with the community because his thing is you can't just come here and build. You have to be, you know, invested in the community. And that's how he's been able to work around that. Yeah, and, and, the, and, the, and you know, so because this is how I see it get played here and, and other places is when you use the word community, then we're not – you know, they, we're not talking about the community that you're trying to bring in. We're talking about the community that's already here that you want to displace or are, that are about to be displaced. And so I think that's a key to that kind of uh, strategy. Um, before I want to, I want to move into, uh, you know, the, the election of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but, uh, uh, and how that's kind of, you know, part of this trend of, you know, seems to be, uh, could be a trend uh, similar on the national level, similar to what we see uh, happening in Newark and down in Jackson. But I do want to make this comment is that how, how tied are you guys, when it comes to affordable housing, uh, and we talk about that formula, that formula to me is kind of flawed. And I'm wondering how tied are, so how tied are people to, that kind of a formula. Can you? Is there a way to redefine, you know, what affordable means? Because go ahead. Oh yeah, ahead. It, it is flawed because you know the, when you look at the AMA, you know the Area Median Income or AMI, whatever it is, in New That's York, right. they consider that they say the AMI is like what three thousand dollars a month, you know, which is insane. Right. <laughs> That's a lot, and so. So, you know, in our people, there are people that are more talented than I with numbers that have found ways to, you know, incorporate that into the language of the ordinances and everything else. 
And the the alternative is that if you don't want that, um, then you pay into a trust that allows us to then build affordable housing. So, you know, people have an alternative. It's like you know, people may say, hey, that's not what I want in this building. Then, hey, so you pay into a trust. You know, you use the money that we would have allocated to that and you pay into a trust so that we can then build affordable housing, you know, or construct it. So, so he, he's found ways around that because, you know, like I said, you know, and he does a lot of work. You know, we've collaborated with the city of New York um, on a lot of different things. We constructed um, a right to counsel, an office of right to counsel that will um, allow us to work with pro bono lawyers here that will represent people, you know, low-income residents, seniors, disabled in uh, disputes with landlords. Because we've had, in just a brief history, you know, uh, Newark was a vibrant city up until uh, the late 50s, early 60s. And, of course, with the 1967 rebellion, some people call it the riots, um, with the rebellion that changed and a lot of people left Newark. So since then, Newark has been in a constant kind of revitalization, renaissance, you know, coming back. But now it, it's definitely here. And um, and so, uh, you know, so the mayor, um, you know, he and he's lived through that. That's the, the beauty of having a Native son is that he has seen all of that. So he understands the culture and he understands what it takes to really bring things back. And, and that has been, um, I think, the difference is that he sees what works, what's not going to work, and we've worked. Um, so he, we have the right to counsel so that people are, who are in disputes, we have a lot of absentee. In the past, we had absentee landlords. And I remember the mayor would, would get so tired of certain buildings, we actually shut down buildings, like over a course of like a week, you know, just move low-income residents because the absentee landlords were so bad. And they live in Florida. They live all over the country, and they would not invest in the community. The mayor's like, you can't have people living in these types of conditions. And I remember... When we started to go after these landlords, you know, who are not from our communities, uh, you know, he constantly is going after them. You know, we'd have meetings. He's like, okay, we're going after these people because they are not treating the citizens of Newark, you know, right. And that has been the difference, D'Angelo. When you have someone who lives in the community, who shops in the community, you know, you, you know, he, people know he runs around and he runs in the parks in the communities. He is always there, and he's always listening to the people, so he knows firsthand what's going on. And that has been, that's made the difference in his administration, the way that he governs. So, that, this, okay. this, is, this is really powerful stuff. And, it's, you know, when we talk, you know, in the past, I know we've had this discussion on this show in the past about the importance of local politics. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is in motion, vivid illustration uh, of it. Um, so let's make that shift to to cross the river, or is it, is it a river that y'all got to cross to get get to New York? <laughs> yep, yep. It's always some kind of water, a river, a channel, all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? I would like so, to add one thing. Mayor Baraka is a graduate of the Mecca. <laughs> He's oh, a graduate of the Bastion of African American Education, Howard University, Bison Pride. <laughs> As as are both of us and, and as Chris and so I, we need to get a Howard yeah. University uh, net podcast network and stuff and and, and start uh you know pumping that up because uh, we got a Let's lot do that. of force. 
Um, so so let's talk about what happened across with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and uh, your thoughts on her election and, and the potential that it it right it right. I think she's amazing. She said the only way to beat a machine is uh, the only way you beat a machine is with a movement. And she created a movement. And you know, I you know I noticed like she's you know there, there's one scene where you see her and I know you know you've been to the city so you know. But it's like one of the things that we do, especially as women, we have our walking shoes. The minute we're about to get on the train, we're changing our shoes because, you know, that means we've got to go do our work and uh, we're changing, you know, our shoes. And I was like, that's a powerful statement. This is a sister who's truly of the community. And, uh, you know, she did the work. She put in the work. She talked about for a year and a half she was going around and meeting with people and going to people's houses and having conversations and living rooms and that is how you create a movement and and that's really what I hope to see you know other people doing and when I think about her I think about like groups like Higher Heights which is all about electing African American women of color you know African American African American women and it's not that we're against anybody else but I support these sisters I'm like because that's what you know you know within our community the backbone is African-American women. And so we are the ones who, you know, who are out there on the front lines. We're out there behind our men or in front of our men or protecting our sons. And so I love that uh, groups like that are supporting sisters. And uh, I think that that's going to be the, the, the movement. I think the movement is the way, like she said, to beat the machine. And right now, if you think about it, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. But I've been listening to the sister. She talks about being a democratic socialist. And I'm like, huh, let me look into this because it makes sense. And um, because right now, like, I don't know about you, D'Angelo, but when I look at the Democrats, they are not doing anything at all. Like, I'm like, where's the leadership? You know, we're supposed to have the DNC. We're supposed to have Tom Perez at the DNC. We're supposed to have... I don't know why they keep putting old-ass Nancy Pelosi up there, but it's like, come on, y'all. You've got to do better. This is not representative of who we are and how we should be operating right now. So I think the future is going to be leaders like Alexandria you know, Ocasio-Cortez. I think she's like the future. And um, I hope other people, I hope that this opens the doors for other leaders. Yeah, I'm um, 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 not. A Democrat. I'm not a Democrat fan. Uh, mm-hmm. it, but you brought it up. I mean, you 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 alluded to it. And it's no secret to anybody that listens to this on the regular. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the re- one of the problems is that, you know, for me is the the they market it as a party of the people, a party of the working class, a party of uh, non-white folks, and party of women, a party of aggressive politics. But I don't see it, and, and you know, so they, they they'll come to the community and say, you know, vote for me because I represent you, and then get in the office and, and pivot and vote the other way. You don't get the resources you need. Uh, our tax dollars, at least on the congressional level, our tax dollars go to war to bomb other non-white countries. Meanwhile, we ain't got jobs at home. Tax bill, uh, you know. In, uh, uh, helps the, the super rich out, and you know it's going to really impact a lot of people. Don't know this; it's going to impact a lot of small business people like myself and yourself. So I, that's the reason why. But to the to your point about democratic socialism, 
one thing that heartens me is that uh, is that younger people and then people who have seen the wording of the Democrat Party uh, get betrayed by their actions are now open up to the concept that, uh, you know, back to community, uh, you know, democratic socialism is more like a community-based uh, 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 philosophy. Uh, it is not so much top-down, but you know, a little bit more horizontal. So I, I embrace where she's coming from, and, I, and I'm hoping that this is an opportunity for us to expand uh, the political process so that it's not either or binary uh, where you're forced into this. Oh, I got to vote against the Republicans because that's so awful. When the, a lot of times, like you said, old ass Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, you know, I mean, Steady Hoyer, all these dudes <laughs> at the top. So they're whack. Yep. You know, they just, so, so, but anyway, so that said, and, and I, and I invite you to extend this to also your experience with uh, Mayor Baraka you know, what's, what, you know, there's this thing about we don't want to go, the Democrats say, we don't want to go too far left. <laughs> like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. far left is working in Newark. So, it's, yeah. so, it, so, and I know you've been, you know, active in the Democratic Party. What is that tension like, you know, uh, between the so-called far left, which is not Anybody, mm-hmm. well, people that understand what left and right really mean is it's not really that far left. But I, I want you to dime on that for a second. Then I want to talk some more about higher heights. Well, you know, the thing about it, and this is what Alexandria, you know, ran on, is that the person who had been representing that district for, what was it, 10 terms, 20 years? Yeah. He was yeah. not working in the community. So you have someone, and he was about to become chair of, or they said he was possibly up for speaker or something uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, he was, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. So you have someone now positioned, you know, in this position who had not been dealing with the people who had not been of the community. And, uh, and so people are beginning to kind of sit back and say, wait a minute. And there's a sister out of uh, Massachusetts, Diana Presley, you know, who is, uh, she's coming along and she's in the same vein as Alexandria, um, Ocasio-Cortez. So there are people now who are kind of even, they're holding, it's like when the Democrats say, oh, we don't want to go too far left, I kind of challenge them like, oh, what about this big tent philosophy we're supposed to have, too far left? You know, you all are dealing with this machine politics again, and you're not dealing with the movement of the people. And I, I think that's the problem that they have when it comes to getting out the vote, because people say, hey, this doesn't work for me. This whole machine politics it doesn't work for me because you all only come around every two years or every four years and my interests are not being protected and you're not speaking to me. You're not, you know, you're not in our community and, you know, I'm not going to start <laughs> calling out names, but there are people in the state of New Jersey that I don't see. I see them at, you know, election time. I see them, but I don't hear them. They're not holding town hall meetings. They're not, they're not speaking to the community, and they're living off a of celebrity, and it's just, it's not working, and people are going to eventually get tired. They're going to get tired of that type of rhetoric, and uh, so I, I hope that this ushers in a new movement, and um, and I know you want to talk about higher heights, you know, and again. Go for it. Yeah, organizations like that, 
that, you know, they are supporting sisters. They are supporting sisters, and they're not, it's not like a Lillian's list, you know, where it's like, oh, you have to be pro-choice or anything. These are sisters who are, they're like, we are supporting sisters who, you know, women of color who are running. And when uh, the sister down in um, in Georgia, who's, you know, uh, Abrams, who's in running for governor, you know, they were like one of the first ones who, you know, they were on that um, on that bandwagon. So their focus is to expand and support uh, black women's leadership at all levels, you know, and, and and their thing is not just around election time. It's like about educating them, which is what I was trying to do when I did this, the Truth Hamer initiative when I was working at NAN. You know, for me, it was about talking to women in disenfranchised communities. So I was going into public housing developments. I was talking to women in the rural communities that no one ever went out for a GOTV because it wasn't sexy to them. And that's how you... You know, that's how you really build on something. And um, so it's good to see these sisters. I hope people, you know, who are listening look into Higher Heights. It's an amazing organization. And uh, they support women, like I said, all levels nationwide. So I hope sisters uh, tune in to them. Well, we're going to post. Is there is there a website or uh, any, that folks can link to that, that they can find out more information? Yes, it's uh, higherheightsforamerica.org, higher, H-I-G-H-E-R, heights, H-E-I-G-H-T-S, for america.org. Okay, and we'll post amazing. it. it's amazing. Yeah, please do. Okay. I love yeah. this. Um, and it's, that's, a, I'm assuming, a national organization? Oh, yeah, national. Okay. Yeah, and so they're following sisters everywhere. The the one thing I kind of noticed when it comes to uh, progressive politics, and and this seems to be the justification that the Democrats, the the party, DNC, Mm -hmm. has in or or uh, or the DCCC has in pushback against progressives is that a a lot of the the progressive uh, that I see is is you know along the coast and somewhat there's there's a strong strain in the south that a lot of people aren't either making a connection to or 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 not talking about enough um so then that leaves obviously the midwest and outside of chicago and maybe st louis uh you know where you know we get, it seems like that that's where the disconnect comes in, but I heard you say that you did a reach out to rural communities. Is that something mm-hmm. that uh, is that a focus of, of uh, for for Higher Heights or any other organization that you might be a part of? Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure that Higher Heights has that. Um, you know, I don't live in a rural community, but the reason that I named uh, my initiative Truth Hamer for Sojourner Truth and Fannie Lou Hamer is because Fannie yes. Lou was out in those communities. And I knew, yes. and this was back when I organized back in 2004, was that I understood that this is where they really needed to look at women in these, because that's a typically overlooked community, you know, women who live in those types of, of areas. And so... That was why, you know, and I, I hope, I'm sure that Higher Heights, um, some of the elected offices will be covered in those communities. But I think that that is uh, another area because if you look at it, and again, this is the pushback on 45. His, 
people are coming from those rural communities. You know, these yep. are people he understood, you know, 45 understands, if nothing else, to speak to people who are feeling overlooked and disenfranchised. The problem is that, you know, and I, I, I love my people, but you all, you know, they put out a new music video and you all are distracted for, you know, three or four days. And trust me, people who are in control of these things understand that. When you get too woke on Wakanda, <laughs> they're going to put out another video to keep you distracted again. You know, because and even with the whole Wakanda for everything, the theme that you all missed was the coalition and building and fighting together. You know, you all got hung up on the arm shake or whatever and the clothes, but you missed the <laughs> message. The message was about fighting yes. together, coming together. Right. And um, and so I, I think that that's one of, you know, to me that's the new stay woke, you know. That's the new stay woke. You 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 just hit on you hit on see, see this is why you got it you gonna have to come back to know that right <laughs> I know I know because we always we get started and keep on going yes I'm ready but because because you hit on something we are so easily distracted uh, mm-hmm. it kills me I, and and like you said it's not that you know. You know, when you, people like yourself, myself, bring that up and, and people like, well, you just, you're whatever, they don't understand that the folks that are putting that out who are financing it understand mm-hmm. that you can become distracted, and that's why it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. you know, just, just, a, just as an aside, you know, I noticed during, like, the finals, the NBA finals, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the commercials had a theme. It, they they either had they did military in different forms, whether it was a cop or some kind of space war or just an out and out military recruiting, mm-hmm. or or coons. Yeah, <laughs> you know, coon movies. You know all these. I like this. I mean, I know cooniness will actually coons are for white people, but they distract <laughs> black people too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. Like, like you said, y'all stay woke out there. I mean, come on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's just like it. And one of the things they're not talking about, and I, I definitely need to come back because we need to talk about this, and that is the fact that I don't know if you're paying attention, but, you know, I read, you know, of course, BBC and I watch that. But the whole fact that the French and Belgian teams in, you know, mm. in, the, world, in the World Cup you're talking people mm-hmm. of colors. You're talking people who yep. migrated. And so this is, you know, I posted on LinkedIn. You know, it's funny because I can see that people look at it, but they're afraid to like it or comment on it, I guess, because they're afraid their bosses will say, why are you talking about, you know, people of color in France and Belgium, mm-hmm. you know, on my payroll? So, um, but I think that, you know, this brings a whole other dimension because if you remember, you know, and I read about this, you know, the French team back in, like, the, the mid-'80s was colorful, and um, it was people of all nations on it. And then there was a French nationalist kind of movement that pushed back because, you know, the conservative leaders like were like, oh, they don't represent – they don't look like me in France on the French mm-hmm. soccer team. And then um, 
And now Italy has said the same thing. Of course, Italy didn't even make the World Cup, but they have no people of color because they didn't want any people of color on their soccer team. But now you look at French and Belgium, you know, kicking ass out there on the soccer field. And they all look like us. You know, they're all these hues. And it's it's a beautiful thing, but it'll be interesting to see. And I think uh, one reporter... I was going to say it was make the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, but they were watching with uh, someone from the German right. Uh, they were over in Germany, and one of their you know conservative leaders was like, "Oh, you know, this this is you know they were upset with the fact that Germany lost to I can't remember one of the teams that looked more like a global you know my immigration kind of culture, migrant culture." Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think that's a whole other conversation to see what happens uh, with the World Cup and will they will they beat you know will they beat these teams? So I, I just wrote it down. That is a new top. That is a topic because it ties into this immigration crisis. You know, and there's that word migrate in both terms. And so yeah, we, we're going to do that. Um, we're we're running out of time. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. I would love yeah. I would love for Marjorie to come back. I want to thank her for, for coming in. Uh, any final words, my sister? No, I just, I'm glad to be back. I look forward to uh, continuing to decode everything that's out there. Oh. And uh, I just uh, received in the mail the book by James Baldwin Johnson, the autobiography of an ex-colored man. So I will have something to talk about the next time we're on air. 